Hi, everybody. This is Jeff Ashkin in Los Angeles, California, with Roy Cole in Jersey City, New Jersey, and Derek Kessler in Yokohama, Japan. And this is the ultimate thrill-seeking, extreme, nail-biting podcast of all time, coast to coast to coast. Is, is our podcast any of those things? Today we have roller coaster enthusiast and film and TV editor Jason Schwab. Hello, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. So, thanks, thanks for being on the show. This is my first uh, podcast ever. I'm popping my podcast cherry right here. Oh, I see. This so, is, wait, uh, Jeff, can you put uh, in an air horn sound effect right here? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm glad to pop your podcast cherry. Um, and uh, I don't know if I can say that. But um, yeah, I was, delete that if if uh, if that was inappropriate, I apologize. But yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we're, not ed- we're not editors like you, Jason. We oh, don't have that. That's uh, true. That's true. I believe uh, we have some questions for you, Derek. You wanna? Okay. Well, first of all, Jason, you're joining us from the West Coast, correct? Correct. About eight miles down the road from where Jeff is. Is so like two hours away. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. In Los okay. Angeles, uh, driving absolutely. Los Angeles time. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's really cool uh, that you're a film and TV editor, Jason. Um, I think that's a profession that a lot of people maybe um, owe some appreciation towards, but maybe aren't aware of really what goes into the profession of editing for TV and film specifically. So I was just curious from a personal level, and I don't know if people who are listening to this would be interested as well, but like, what would you consider to be the funnest or the most satisfying part of being an editor? Um, the funnest and most satisfying, I would say, is the fact that you are kind of in charge of how the rhythm of the show ultimately plays out. I mean, you and generally collaborating with the director or a producer um, are able to put your creative stamp on the show. And then when the show is on, you could say, hey, that was, I did that. Even though people watching might not be like hmm i bet uh, that was walter Mar- that was walter murch's uh, intentions there they're more thinking that that was francis ford you know like cuz the the um director is more the author of the film but the editor can surely put you know a creative stamp of their own and mm-hmm. in a sort of silent way in the background walter murch was a famous uh editor and yep, also directed is. well is he st- i think he's still alive yeah, I saw him at. Uh, uh, oh I ran into. I mean, I didn't. I didn't like. Sit, I didn't talk to him or anything. But he was. I. I saw him once at the bookstore, right by you. Um, the books with the little Studio City Barnes and Noble. I saw him there. Yeah. I was. I was like, Aww. way too, way too shy to approach him. But uh, yes, he, he's, uh, he's still with us. He also directed Return to Oz, the sequel to Correct. The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Remember bookstores? <laughs> I do. I love. I, I love bookstores. I. Hope to go back to one one day. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> but they were fun. They were. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. What about uh, conversely? What would you say is maybe the most challenging part or the most difficult part of the film editing process? Uh, the most challenging part, I would say, is that just the sheer mountain of work that goes into it. Basically, if you think about it, if you take just one scene from a film, you have a master shot and that's been shot you know five or six times then you have uh 
you know, the main character single shot that does five or six takes. Then you have the person that they're talking to five or six takes. Then you have a few creative shots that they did. And you have to sort of look at all that and say, okay, how does this going to, how is this going to be a, a cohesive scene? First, it has to be cohesive. And, and then secondly, it has to, you have to sort of be creative with it and make it not boring. Um, there was a, an editor that I learned that I learned under, um, said there's basically just two rules to editing. Don't bore and don't confuse. As long as you don't do either of those, uh, all you have to do is, you know, tell the story. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. And I think even just hearing those two uh, comments that you made towards what is fun about it and what is challenging about it, I think if for people who maybe don't live in Los Angeles or maybe aren't as privy to the filmmaking process um, and may not be familiar with what a film editor does. Um, I think those two questions provide a lot of insight as to your work process, because for me, you know, I didn't really, I didn't go to film school. Um, Mm. I like films, but I didn't really have any, I was never conscious about what goes into creating a film until my five year stint in living in Los Angeles and, uh, kind of helping Jeff with some of his films and uh, just being on set and filming, even just what ends up being a simple or a short scene. There's so much filming that goes on and so much work and so many angles and doing the same thing over and over again, that you have this tremendous amount of respect, not only for the people who are like actively involved in the scene, but also the post work that goes that like what you're describing, you end up with so much work that you need to figure out the best way to edit that all together into a, yep. a piece of storytelling. And you have to pay attention to the technical elements, but there's a risk in paying too much attention to the technical elements that you forget to tell a story. Right. And that's what people are going to see. They're not going to see your cool wipe or your cool special effect. They're going, they want to be moved in some way. Right. So I think it can be a, a thankless job in a lot of ways because a lot of people, a lot of casual, um, you know, movie viewers are probably just paying attention to the work of the actors or maybe the writers or mm-hmm. maybe the directors, uh, some people. But I don't think a lot of people, unless they're pretty tech savvy when it comes to the art of filmmaking, probably aren't really conscious of the uh, con- contributions of the editor, but I think there's so much work that goes involved with that. So I think that's really cool that you're able to share some of your insight. No problem. Yeah. Um, it tends to be one of those things that people fast forward during the Academy Awards, but uh, <laughs> it's one of the things that I most look forward to, to see what, uh, what uh, gets chosen and like, and why, and think about why, you know? So, I think that's a good segue into the question I had for you, okay. uh, which was specifically about the Oscar for best film editing. Um, now, first I'll preface, I'm a big dumb, dumb head, so I don't know much about uh, editing or anything. But when I hear that there's an Oscar for best film editing, like in my head, I would think that to know what had the best editing, you would have to watch all the deleted scenes that didn't get into the movie to figure out which had good editing. And then like 
the movie with the worst deleted scenes, you'd say like, wow, that editor did a good job of editing because all <laughs> that stuff was garbage. I'm glad they took that out. Because uh, otherwise, how would you know what was edited well? So, so tell me why I'm wrong and I don't understand film editing. I think, I think that is, I mean, that is, that's like, that's like one slice of the pie is did this editor use, econ- you know, an economic amount of time to tell the story? But also, I think, and first of all, like, it's so stupid that it's like best director or best film editor, because like, if you, if your film is nominated for an Academy Award, you're already the best film. I mean, like, you're the best film editor that anyone you know knows, you know, like, um, but I guess I guess it's in a, what it is is just a selection of appreciation of a particular film that where the editing stood out, you know, like where the editing was was uh, important in telling the story. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm going to probably say, does that make sense at the end of every single one of my answers? Well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But then how like how do the judges what are they looking for to differentiate like I get what you're saying. Like they all had had good yeah. editing because they're I think all Oscar movies. But like, how are they differentiating from one to the other? It's a good question. I don't. I don't. I think it's a. Uh, it's a bunch of individuals who are. It's it's just regular people who received this. Uh, Jeff is probably familiar with this. Jeff has gotten screeners. You do, you basically just get a uh, a DVD of the film and you watch it, and you say, "Gosh, was was this film's editing better than this other film's editing?" and Ultimately, you just say, eh, you know, I like this one best. And then your vote counts, you know, your one 300,000th of the vote or whatever. And ultimately, just that one, the one with, that I, received them. Is that, yeah, the one that received the most votes gets it. I guess for me, it's, it's easy for me to see good editing in like an action movie. If an action movie can show me a sequence with very little dialogue and I know everything that's going on, the emotion of it, the the uh, uh, sequence of events that makes logical sense, then I'm I'm engaged. Then I notice the editing. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for a good example, I'd say like anyone who edited uh, the Indiana Jones movies, specifically the first three, uh, I would say deserves all the A credit in the world because I think those movies have incredible action sequences, and you know who the good guys are, obviously, who the bad guys are, how they react to each other, a, a good setup of the scene. And I notice the way the the sequence plays out effectively, and I'm I, I'm caught up in the emotion of it. But for conversely, not to pick on any controversy time, I think the Transformers movies, especially the second and third one, be eh, careful here. Yeah. I know, right? I Lots don't think Transformers the, fans listening. <laughs> I don't think the editing is very good. I think that it's a it's a formless, shapeless mess, and I don't understand who. The, I, I there's sequences I've seen in Transformers. I think Dark Side of the Moon, or whatever. I don't know who the bad guy is, who the good guy is. I just see two forms, formless masses of, of machinery going at each other. And I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. They're not memorable film for some reason. I don't know if it, you know, it, it may have been the editing it may have been the writing, but it's something about those films. I agree are not memorable. Uh, also good example. I'm sorry. Catch off. Sorry, Jason. You can that's okay. No, no, no. I was gonna say another good example of editing is, uh, the, uh, R. Uh, I would say, well, sorry, another good example of editing would be, I would say, Jurassic Park, the first one uh, by Spielberg, of course. The sequence where the Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, first comes out, I mean, we've all saw it as children, we were at the time. Uh, We all remember the way that, I mean, obviously, 
Spielberg as a director, he has storyboard everything. So, I mean, it's hard not to mess that up because you'd already had it planned out. But the editing was very careful in the sense that you're in the car with the main characters and you're seeing the T-Rex come out of the gate while you're in the car with them. You have this level of, of uh, you know, horror or, you know, wonderment because you're in there. If they had, if you had pulled out and saw the T-Rex coming out outside the car, I don't think it would have had the same effect. But that's probably more direction than editing. I don't know. What would you yeah, say, that's, No, that that actually, that's absolutely editing, and that's also sound. Um, mm. the the moment the, the moment that stands out for me in the, in Jurassic Park with sound, there's this moment where the kids are in the car by them by themselves. I think the lawyer has already gone to uh, relieve himself. Uh, but the, uh, the kids are there and all of a sudden everything stops and they realize something is terrible and boom, the, uh, the T-Rex breaks the sunroof. Like there's a moment of silence right before that. And that's the timing of that. Actually, the editor is responsible for the timing of that, but that that's like editing, working with sound. And that causes incredible surprise for the, for at least for me when I was, so I think I was 11 years old when I saw that. Um, yeah, the sound design is excellent in that movie. But then again, all I think all the great movies, sound design, I mean, all great um, experiences, Star Wars, of course, Jurassic Park. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think you can, Jurassic Park, I mean, every time I see it, I hear a T-Rex roar on TV, I'm always expecting the T-Rex roar from Jurassic Park, the, the 1993 movie. Yeah, it's like so. the most reused sound effect nowadays, seems like. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's like, it was like a baby elephant mixed with like an alligator. It was like a bunch of different sound effects. Right. That is that true? Together. That that's how they made the yeah, sound. Yeah, it's a baby elephant. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, mixture like a, of a couple a walru- different animals. A walrus might have been in there. I'm not I sure. think a walrus and a baby yeah. elephant. Yeah, that's. So. I think I think um it was Ben. Was it Ben Burt who did the sound on yeah, that? Yeah, Ben Burt. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, because he also did Star Wars. Yeah. He also did Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark as well, or the Indiana yeah. Jones films. Yeah. So. Good stuff, guys. <laughs> All right, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh no, I'm, I think it's sad. Uh, nobody knows uh the walrus or the baby elephant that made that sound famous. Like, oh, I know. What, a, what a great contribution to the movie. I know the cinema, yeah. yeah. Also, not people know this, but like a turtle that's aroused did some of the sounds for the raptors. It was a, a turtle that was in a state of sexual arousal, and also dolphins did the sounds Wait, of the are raptors. You serious? I'm, not, I'm serious. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I look, I look this no. up. <laughs> I'm serious. You can look it up. I swear. What funny. What does a turtle in a state of arousal sound like? I believe in the part where they have the raspy, uh, when the when the veloc when the velociraptor barks. Um, I was just a, hoping you were gonna do the sound. To be honest. It's a, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there you go. It's like, a tortoise. It's a it's a tortoise having sex. Actually. Whoa. There you go. Which would sound like. Oh, I thought you were gonna play the sound. I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I, I, I don't. I can't. I can't get that my voice that high. So you but, could uh, okay. a second ago. I, I think that I was actually you playing the sound effect. Just I'll just I'll basically I'll put that sound effect in here. That's what I'll do. <laughs> I think I can put that in. I think that's not copyrighted, or maybe it is. I don't know. Well, it's for educational we'll, purposes. We'll, we'll find out in like six to eight weeks after this is released. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if we get uh, Universal's lawyers on us. Oh, actually, wait. You know, it's funny. I actually know one. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so, Jason, we invited you here today because you are the, you're a friend of ours, of course, and you're also a roller coaster enthusiast, as we mentioned in our uh, uh, intro. So our topic, to, our topic today is about roller coasters. 
They've been around since the mid 1880s, which I didn't know. I actually looked that up. I thought that was pretty amazing. Emotional um, roller coasters have been around even longer. That's than true. That. Yes. Think yes. about the of America. My gosh. Right. <laughs> One of the biggest emotional roller coasters. <laughs> Obviously, they've been advertised to to show the extremeness of their experiences. You know, they go so high, and they go so low, and they go so fast, and they drop you so uh, quickly. So I got to ask, since you are, once again, our enthusiast here, two questions. And the first question I pose is, what makes a good roller coaster, in your opinion? And then, what, you could, what do you consider to be the best roller coaster or coasters of all time? So uh, since we are you're the guest, please go first. Yeah. Um, what I think makes a good roller coaster is the feeling of, oh, my God, I'm going to die, and then you don't die. <laughs> you know, like um, everyone likes that feeling after the fact, you know, we were going to die, but then we didn't. Um, I, I mean, it's the to go back to what we were talking about. I think it's the foundation of all good stories like Jurassic Park. You basically feel like you're they're going to all these people are going to die. And, and But then they don't. And you leave the theater and you're like, oh, that was amazing. And it's the same thing, I think, with roller coasters. Um, so the fear of death minus death minus death. The fear of death minus death equals joy. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I think in, in almost anything. Um, the other thing, th there's two other things that I would say make a good roller coaster. One is surprises. We're going to go this way. No, we're going to go that way. No. Oh my God, we're in a tunnel. Um, <laughs> things like that. When things that you didn't see coming uh, make a roller coaster really great. And I think that's why a lot of people like Space Mountain, for example, um, mm -hmm. is that you know you feel like you're going a million miles an hour. You can't see anything. Um, and then the third thing is, um, this is something that roller coaster enthusiasts can't get enough of, is this thing called airtime. Uh, do you guys know what airtime is? Uh, explain. Airtime <laughs> is just when you come out of your seat on a roller coaster, when you get popped out of your out of your seat going over the top of a hill, and that's why a lot of ro uh, roller coaster enthusiasts enjoy wooden roller coasters, preferably over steel roller coasters, because. It's basically just a series of bunny hops where you come out of your seat and uh, people just can't get enough of it. Um, I think it's like one ingredient of a good ride, but there are, there are people who all that, that's all they need and they're happy. And if that's not there, then it's a horrible ride, but I, it, there can be rides where it doesn't happen and it could still be a good ride. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I was going to say like, uh, I, I, I like the fact of being out of my seat, but also, of course, st safely strapped into the seat. Though. Yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, um, no one actually wants to leave the train. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> now, I, even though, although you're an enthusiast, I know Derek is as well. Derek, what do you feel makes a great roller coaster? Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of things that Jason said. Obviously, um, I've enjoyed roller coasters since as far back as I can remember, and taken several trips just for the purpose of riding roller coasters. The, when I would first uh, seek out extreme roller coasters uh, with my sister, um, we were kind of like-minded in that we would want to go to as many theme parks as we could. And the first thing we would do when we'd get the map showing all the rides that were available was see what had the most warnings. And that was like, <laughs> <laughs> that was like our key to say, okay, what should we hit first? Because and that ties back to the first point that Jason made, which was that you want to feel as extreme or as close to danger as you can. And But knowing that you're not going to die in the back of your mind, but but kind of 
the physical sensations of the of the roller coaster kind of confusing you into thinking that no maybe you will die or something so also there's a small chance that you will die just throwing true. that out there there's a chance <laughs> that you will die on the way to the park <laughs> yeah <too. laughs> that's also true yeah that's why yeah, life yeah. is exciting <laughs> yeah so i guess you never know but uh the things that i would add um the things that i had jotted down and were one um of course you have the classic build-up uh when you're slowly going up um that's the a hallmark of roller coasters and i think it adds to that feeling um it's probably one of the most exciting parts of the ride is is when you're gradually going up and wondering you know how high it's going to go and um, what it's going to feel like when you're going down i think that part of the roller coaster and designing that part effectively is one part of making a roller coaster experience um very fun and then the um i guess the the second thing i was going to say was was variety and surprise and i guess jason touched on it but it's also you know it's it's um the phys- just the design of how many times you're going to turn versus flip around versus you know go into a tunnel like jason said um just having good variety that that can make for a good roller coaster but then the third part, which um, Jason didn't mention, and which I think um, can put a great roller coaster into the category of an amazing roller coaster, and that's the theme. I think having a cool theme can enhance the physical sensations of it as well. And uh, I have some examples of that, but I think um, like Space Mountain is a good one. Like if there was no theme at all and you just sat down and got strapped in and started going around, it would, it would still be fun because you'd still have the same um, physical sensations, but, but having that whole buildup when you're waiting in line and you're going to go on a space mission and, and, you know, you got the design of the, of the exterior and the interior and then the actual design of like, like for space man when it's black and it looks like there's stars going by you that really enhances that kind of like takes you out of the, the real world and puts you into the world of the roller coaster. So I think having a cool design can enhance it even further. Cool. Yeah. I was going to say that, that, that I do what I think could help. Um, it's interesting that they've been trying to put in more roller coasters that have stories uh, in them, like with the mummy roller coaster, mm-hmm. with the escape from Gringotts roller coaster in, in Orlando's. Um, they're preparing uh, one in Epcot too uh, for oh, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. I like, I like, I certainly, I'm more, I've always enjoyed rides that had a story to them. I'm, I always prefer dark rides, but I do like the idea of putting a roller coaster into a, a story driven narrative and, uh, you know, pushing that theme. How about you, Roy? What do you feel? That makes a good roller coaster. Okay. So, so I'm less of an enthusiast as you guys, I think. I do enjoy roller coasters, but uh, I, don't, I don't like seek them out or anything. So my criteria, my bar is very low. Uh, so this is what I wrote down. Uh, what makes a good roller coaster? One, uh, if I don't fall out of the <laughs> ride. And uh, the second one is uh, if the cars don't derail off the tracks. I love and, uh, not derailing. Come, come off the ride. And thankfully, uh, <laughs> neither of those have happened to me personally. Though it does happen to some people occasionally. It has, yeah. Um, tragically. Uh, so, you know, uh, knock on wood, uh, it hasn't happened to me. And I enjoy uh, afterward 
the feeling of like, oh, I just did that and I didn't fall out. So, so once that bar is uh, reached, then then I feel like it was a good experience. Um, I do think it's interesting. Uh, Derek was talking about um, one of the hallmarks being like the slow creep up to to the top of an incline, which is actually uh, like my least favorite part of roller coasters. And uh, I I prefer when roller coasters don't do that. Um, and and I think the the one roller coaster that really subverts that theme is uh, the Hulk yeah, in uh, Islands of Adventure, where like two seconds in, it's just like we're going fast. That's what we're <laughs> roller coaster. That's what we do. Like they don't beat around the bush. Uh, and I I feel like all the other roller coasters that do the slow creep, uh, they're like playing with my emotions, that like teasing Absolutely. me. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm just like, we, we we all know what this is. This is a roller coaster. Let, let's let's get this thing going. Um, you like so, to be so teased? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, teaser. Yeah. But you know, Roy, there's roller coasters all around the country that just get launched right out of the station. I I the one I know is the Hulk, but but are there lots of others? Yeah. If you go to, um, well, I guess it's not. You you're in New Jersey. I am. I say and New York, but you say New York. Jersey. In uh, in in Great Adventure down down in Central Jersey, there's a ride there called King Daka, which is it literally just shoots you 128 miles an hour into into the sky, basically. <laughs> and uh, it's the t- I think it's the tallest roller coaster in the world still. Um, I've seen Jason's video of this. He has this video of him going on it, and it scares the shit out of me. I mean, hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, has anyone ever... uh ever fallen out of this ride no no but it rolls backward though doesn't it right sometimes oh did i send you a video of the ride i've seen it on your facebook i've seen it oh I think our... oh yeah there's a video of me on a sim on a similar ride at cedar point which is a park we should talk about if we're talking about mega roller coaster parks um all right yeah no that um that ride that ride is incredible uh okay but... yeah i'll uh i'll have to check that out yeah, yeah. since i'm in jersey um what other the other note i had on roller coasters is um i've been on uh the cyclone in coney island which i don't know is that like one of the first roller coasters or definitely one of the more famous it's i'm on that it was built in the 20s so it's like it's at the time it was it was like an unheard ofly unheard ofly is that not it was like it it was an it was a superlatively tall and fast roller coaster there was no roller coaster like that in the 20s that went it was 60 it went 60 miles per hour it was a, almost 100 feet tall and um uh it was the tallest in the world for a long for a number of years and uh yeah i've been on it too i, I think i last went on it maybe about 10 years ago and boy is it crazy <laughs> i went on it once maybe like six years ago and uh i thought it was relatively tame um oh, and i think yeah comparatively and i think that's because most of my experience i've been on like the hulk and like dueling dragons and, and a lot of those roller coasters um so the cyclone seemed uh tame in comparison um but i guess it's sort of like the citizen cane of roller coasters where it was like the the forerunner is that the right forerunner forebearer yeah. it uh 
for it paved the way for, for future roller coasters. Yeah, I think I think it's less like the Citizen Kane and more like the Scarface. Because <laughs> oh, you interesting. left, you left, you leave the ride feeling like you've been beaten up a little bit. I think yeah, um, I can see that. It's like, and and you're in Brooklyn too. On top of that, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I was gonna say my my rules for a good coaster would be that I don't get sick on it. Um, <laughs> that's something that happens to me every once I in a while. Said that. <laughs> and you know, I I don't like being upside down. I don't know what it is. I think I have equilibrium issues. I don't know what happens to me, but sometimes I go upside down and it makes me just very nauseous and I can't enjoy myself. Um, sorry, go ahead. Do you feel like you're okay until you go upside down and then after you go upside down, you, you're gone for the rest of the ride? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay. But, to, but, there are, but there are exceptions to this and I'll bring that up later when I talk about the, my favorites. Um, so that's number really number one. I don't, I don't want to get I, sick. But. I just want to interject on that upside down point. You know what's interesting is... Uh, it, initially, I was terrified of going on rides when I saw that they went upside down. I'm like, I, I don't want to feel that sensation. A- and then I went on the Hulk, and what I noticed is that um, I didn't even realize when I was upside down on the Hulk because yeah. I, I'm no physicist, but I guess like the sort of the Not- speed and the zero G or something, uh, you really <laughs> don't notice. At least for me, I didn't realize like when I'm upside down and when I'm right side up. The like, only way I to know is, is if you look at the horizon, and if the horizon's upside down, you're upside down. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I've been so trying. To, wa- I've been trying to figure out for years why that is. That when you go through a vertical loop, you don't really, you don't really feel like you're gonna fall out. And it's crazy. I don't, yeah. I don't know why that is. I guess it's momentum or something. I don't know. Science. Well, so that so so if I don't get sick, that's my number one. And the second thing is, do I feel good after I wrote it? Sometimes I've written rides where I'm like, well, I don't feel that good. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I felt like oh, that wasn't worth it. Um, or I feel like, oh, I got I got my money's worth, or I feel like my time that was spent on the roller coaster, all minute and a half of it, was definitely well spent. And I feel like I just you know I had an exhilarating time. So. Uh, I guess I just put it under fun, and then I guess lastly, I I, I do like the theming of it. I do like r- rides that have a storyline or something that you can um, just pay attention to and enjoy on top of the thrills that you're getting. So that would really be my three criteria. I mean, I'm not. I, I don't have to go that high. I don't have to go that fast. I don't have to go that you know uh, twisty. I know a lot of roller coasters nowadays. I'm sure Jason, you can t- uh, touch upon this. A lot of rides now, when you go down, you don't just go down. You go down with a twist. You don't go straight down. Right. Um, and I sometimes like that. Sometimes I don't like that. But um, I, I'm not a huge fan of that feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're going down. Sometimes, I mean, you know, if you scream or yell, that usually helps for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it doesn't. And I'm like, oh, man, I really hope this, this part of it ends because I don't really like this feeling. So... Um, have you ever uh, thrown up after a ride, after a roller coaster ride? No, I don't think I ever have. No, have you? I threw up after a ride. It wasn't a roller coaster ride. It was um, it was the Berry Go Round, which um, <laughs> it was a, a it was in an um, like an amusement park, the type like a traveling park that showed up in like Mission Bay Plaza. You know, they like pack it up in trucks or whatever. Um, 
And so they had a berry go round, which is uh, it's a bunch of strawberries and you sit inside of it. And uh, what happens is like the strawberry rotates and then it also revolves, right? Like planet Earth, like it rotates on its axis while it's oh, revolving God. around the center. Is it, a it like a teacup ride? Yeah, similar to a teacup, um, but more nauseating. And uh, and the berry, like it rotated in the opposite direction that it revolved in. So like Great. to maximize your disorientation. Um, and anyway, I got off that and I threw up. Uh, and that was uh, that was the worst uh, roller coaster I've ever been on. Sounds unbearable. <laughs> the only ride that's ever came close to getting me to throw up was you guys. You guys have ever seen the movie Sandlot? The Sandlot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the ride that they all go on about halfway through that movie where they all throw up their chew- chewing tobacco. Yeah, I remember I the remember. scene. Yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah. I remember the ride. I went on. I went on a ride exactly like that, and I came off it like really close to throw throwing like for some reason like most rides don't bother me but that one really bothered me and i boy never again it's <laughs> funny you know yeah. it's funny I, the only time i ever had a bad reaction to a physical reaction was in terms of a long-term physical reaction was i rode the uh mission uh to mission to mars or mission mission space the ride oh, at yeah. epcot. epcot it's a, sh- and- it's a centrifuge yeah, the centrifuge ride kind of messed me up a little bit. Like, I couldn't go to the bathroom for a couple of days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't that wasn't the best experience. But other than that, you know, it was a fun ride. It's time for the part where we uh, ask for our recommendations. Anything you're reading or watching or listening to? Anything you want to recommend this week? Anything you want to recommend this week, Jason? Yeah. Um, so. I collect uh, records and I, you know, I try to find new, you know, I like all the, I like all these classic rock artists, but I also try to find new uh, music from our time to complement that. And uh, there's this album that I have. Uh, the artist is Todd Terrier and the name of the album is it's album time. And it's from 2014. And I discovered it uh, when I was with my wife on a cruise to Alaska. Um, we were, in the you know the the nightclub on the uh, cruise ship and i heard this song and i ran the shazam app on my phone in order to figure out what it was and it was this album and um the way i would describe this album is if you enjoy the hbo 1980s um intro theme to a movie you know like i don't know if you guys that's the one yeah if you enjoy that theme but and you wanted like a whole album that kind of sounded like <laughs> that theme that's what this album sounds like it's like something right out of the late 70s or early 80s and um i don't know it's just very upbeat and uh funky and uh it's from norway the guy is from norway and uh it feels like a throwback and it's really good for driving and it ended up being kind of something i was listening to when i visited japan um <laughs> as sort of like the soundtrack to all those like brightly lit cities you know kind of cool what's it called todd terrio is that todd terrier t-e-r t-e-r-j-e yeah uh, I, I wasn't expecting that spelling <laughs> i wasn't either i'm glad you spelled that out because i don't think i would have found that yeah no worries all right anyone else got recommendations uh i can go well i know that uh i think we're all fans of the beatles the greatest band of all time obviously yeah. 
I would like to say that I recently, I won't say discovered, but I recently paid attention to the newest releases that have been coming from Apple Records, which are the 50th anniversary versions of the, the so far they've done Sgt. Pepper's The White Album and uh, Abbey Road. And probably like other Beatles fans, I was very much looking forward to the 2009 remasters of their entire catalog. So I already had Beatles CDs before that. When 2009 came around, they remastered their entire catalog, and I, I bought that, and that those were like the go-to versions that I've been listening to. And if you're not aware, for the 50th anniversary of starting with Sgt. Pepper in 2017, they released another uh, version of the album. And my first thoughts were, why do I need another version of the album? I already bought the 2009 version. How much better can this one possibly sound? So I kind of wasn't really paying much attention to it, but um, I did some more research and I was listening to it. And so what they did was they re they didn't remaster it. They remixed it, which means they took the original sound recordings of the Beatles and um, re layered them, which is, uh, takes a lot more liberty than a remastering. But the person who did it was Giles Martin, son of George Martin. So you can tell, you know, it was in good hands. And I think it, on listening to the, these versions of the album, it really, um, you, you hear things that were originally there, but they didn't really stand out. So for me, listening to these 50th anniversary versions was very revelatory. And, um, I did a complete 180 as to whether they were essential in my collection or not. So, uh, and if you're a vinyl collector like Jason is, uh, they do have those versions on vinyl as well. They're available digitally and on CDL also. So um, <clears throat> if you're a Beatles fan, I would recommend checking those out. And also um, in conjunction with that, um, I follow on YouTube a man named Andrew Dixon, who is in my opinion the best has the best Beatles channel on YouTube and he kind of talks about um Beatles info and new releases possible upcoming releases and so um I like what he has to say uh Andrew D I X O N is the spelling of his last name Thanks for joining us today if you'd like to send us a message please email us at coast to coast to coast podcast at gmail.com that's coast the number 2 coast the number 2 and then coastpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we will rank our favorite roller coaster of all time, plus our runner-up. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you all next week.